It's all animals this week, isn't it? We, we start with animal news. And uh, <laughs> have we got animal news at the end? No, the end is uh, Van Gogh. I mean, Arthur Brand did uh, uncover Hitler's horses. So oh, yeah. that's also an animal that's story, true. I yeah. guess. Sort of. It's Friday, September 15th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and someone without political ambitions. With me today is uh, Gordon Derek, contributing editor at Dutch News and Forum for Democracy interviewee. Uh, yeah, um, I'm not actually a Forum for Democracy interviewee, although I'm probably yep. about the only person this week who hasn't uh, <laughs> got an interview for Forum for Democracy in their in their clo- in their closet to declare. Yeah, yeah, it, it's been such a crazy week uh, politically <laughs> speaking. Uh, it was it was such a huge roller coaster. Um, yeah. uh, this has everything to do with the Partij voor de Dieren, which we will talk about later in the podcast but while this was happening there were so many other crazy stories about other political stories that happened simultaneously it was just uh, literally if you hadn't checked your phone in 30 minutes you had already missed five updates of five political yeah. parties right so exactly you ex- just go to make coffee and you come back and you find that three parties have changed their leaders or dropped uh, half the candidate list so, yes yes yeah. yes so it was uh, it was uh, an extremely uh, crazy week and yeah. uh, how many weeks until the election, Gordon. There's still ten weeks to go until the election, <laughs> yes. and I think I'm. I, I think I'm going to be admitted to hospital by by, by, <laughs> by the start of November because things are, um, yeah, moving at such a pace. I, I, I can't keep up. I'm just getting dizzy. Yeah, if the rest of the ten weeks are, you know, the developments are at the same pace, then yeah, uh, we will definitely be burned out somewhere. We'll just at, forget uh, to eat uh, basically. at the end of yeah. September. Yes. Yeah. Um, and this refers to both our uh, job titles because we have to squeeze all the stories in into this podcast somehow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's start with your job title, Forum for Democracy interviewee. Uh, what is that about? Yeah. So all of the parties are starting to bring out their list of candidates for the election, and one of the parties uh, which uh, had uh, um, some of the biggest uh, turbulence was uh, D66. Uh, we'll get into the, um, uh, the, the, the the nitty-gritty of the list uh, later on in the podcast. And one of the candidates was called Yeshim Kandan. Uh, she was uh, the number 11 on the list, uh, just yeah. ahead of uh, Tiet de Choot, the uh, infamous agriculture spokesman. Uh, but she, she uh, is a columnist for uh, various uh, outlets, including uh, ATL uh, News, I think. And uh, it turned out that, one of our col- that many of our columns... Uh, perhaps because she's writing for RTL's audience, uh, was very critical of D66, and in particular the party leader, Sigrid Kaag, who said uh, she said she was a farce of a leader, and also called the party uh, elitist, and uh, yeah, said uh, lots of very unpleasant things about them. And then, on top of that, it turned out that uh, she'd uh, had a history of uh, uh, going around uh, various other parties looking for a spot on a candidate list, including the CDA, and she'd also had an interview with Forum for Democracy. And of course, Forum for Democracy and D66 are absolute sworn the playground enemies, basically. Yes. So once it turned out that uh, she'd yeah, had this interview, uh, she uh, very quickly um, withdrew her candidacy. Because it, when, when the whole all the stuff came out about her columns, she kind of tried to brush it off and say, well, you know, it's good that in a democracy we all have differences of opinion. When it turned out she was actually aiming to stand for 
the party that stands as the absolute polar opposite to D66. Yeah. That was game over, really. Yeah, um, that was so uh, there we are. Trauma, yes. And there was a whole kind of OPEF about the OPEF, wasn't there? Because um, yeah. uh, somebody in uh, Forum for Democracy, and it escapes me now, uh, claimed that she hadn't... Oh, no, it was, it was Ibu Umar, another yeah. um, well-known shock jock columnist. Yeah, yeah. She claimed <laughs> that this wasn't the case, that she hadn't had an interview, and then uh, none other than Henk Otten, uh, the former yes. uh, former for democracy uh, party chairman wasn't he or one of the founders something like that yeah yeah uh, uh, he said no no he definitely had an interview because I interviewed her yeah so, I was there yeah <laughs> I was there I was in the room and uh, yeah. yeah she sat down with me and Thierry Baudet and discussed her candidacy and then decided uh, uh, that she wouldn't be a candidate but nevertheless yeah that was uh, th- so that was uh, her, her one day as uh, a candidate for D sixty six. Yes, at least it was longer than three and a half hours. So it was, yes. Could, could uh, have been worse. We'll come on to. Yeah, and um, yeah, my my job title, someone without political ambitions, refers to the number three on the Boerburgerbeweging candidate list. Uh, that is uh, Gijs Tuinman. Uh, he is a recipient of the Military Williams Order, which is the highest distinction um, a soldier can get in the Netherlands. Uh, it's it's re- it's really a I think three living people um, have been awarded that uh, or, 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 or are currently wearing the military Williams order. So he's highly esteemed. Um, so um, he was brought in, uh, he was presented by Bo Burgerweging as, uh, as the number three candidate and their potential uh, defense minister in case they uh, will join the, uh, the uh, coalition. Uh, and it was a qu- quite a surprise because until now, Gijs Tuinman has never, um, yeah, uh, showed any political ambitions whatsoever. And he gave an interview to the Algemeen Dagblad, I believe, this week, where he indeed said that he still doesn't have any political ambitions, <laughs> that he uh, doesn't have a, a clear vision on uh, defense and on the military, which is the topic he was specifically brought in for. Yeah. Um, and uh, he also said, um, yeah, there is uh, almost no distinction uh, between uh, political parties when it comes to defense. Uh, uh, defense policy doesn't matter which you choose because everyone wants the same uh, and by the way you don't have to vote for me i i suggest you vote for Dirk Boswijk who is a <laughs> CDA MP right yeah. now so uh, a little bit strange yeah. uh, uh, so a candidate uh, for the BBB basically said vote for another party yeah fact, and not just any also party someone, but the party the BBB have been stealing votes from ever exactly. since they were founded yeah yeah and and also yeah claiming that you have no vision or political opinions about anything yeah i mean you are going to be an mp and not not mm. just one mp you're the the number three so you are highly likely to end up in a trade kamer and then saying that you don't have any political ambitions yet that uh, is a bit strange for someone who uh, who's going to uh, 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 who's so high in the party uh, 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 hierarchy right now so yeah uh, well, that was all a bit just picked, uh, picked his name yeah, <laughs> Kit Talman, yeah. Kit the gardener. gardener. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. could be. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really, it's a, it's a mystery, and it's also, it's he, he's not a stupid man. He is also after he um, uh, uh, left the special forces, he he uh, has uh, studied at military academies. He's now um, uh, working on his uh, PhD. So he's not a stupid man. It's mm. just uh, a, a very strange. Um, yeah. A career choice, I think, especially yeah. if you have no opinions on uh, 
the military. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if you don't have any political opinions, uh, politics doesn't seem like the obvious career for for you. No. I think if you no. went to a school careers fair and they said, uh, "Are you uh, are you interested in politics?" and you said no, they would not suggest uh, that you should uh, uh, campaign to become uh, an MP. But uh, yeah, there we are. Uh, and yeah, again, this is also one of these things that uh, came out in this very tumultuous week. So yeah, it is. Uh, uh, it, it's been a very crazy week. It's been a very strange week, yeah. Um, so lots of uh, very short careers, uh, but our op-head for the week is about uh, the shortest so far, I guess we should say. So far, <laughs> yes, because everything can happen now. Yeah. Um, so indeed, the Partij voor de Dieren was uh, yeah, the center of the chaos of this week, but uh, there was also plenty of other crazy stuff ha- happening with other political parties, and one of them was New Social Contract, and that's the new uh, political party Party founded by uh, independent MP Pieter Omzicht, and even though NSC is currently polling to win the election <laughs> with around 30 seats, uh, the party has only been founded uh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, and that means that Pieter Omzicht is literally in a race against the clock to fill his list in time for the November 22nd elections. Um, and he also needs, of course, people who work behind the scenes. And on Tuesday, Omzicht announced he had hired Onno Aardens, who would be his head of communications and personal spokesman unfortunately for Ardens, he has a twitter account mm. and you see this happening all the time right people uh, the lovely people of the internet immediately start to uh, dig into his uh, twitter mm. account to see yep. uh, some some damaging stuff he hadn't called Sigrid Kagewicz uh, to his uh, uh, so his credit yeah to one his of the few who hasn't yeah one of who hasn't um and yeah it's started with the usual right-wing trolls and the whoppies who were mad because he had, was in favor of lockdowns and vaccinations and that was as that was stirring up some other person found uh, uh, another tweet and that was when the real ophef started and in that tweet Ardens described the Boerburgbeweging uh, which is that other new political party that has stirred up the political landscape and he described them as a tumor that is destroying our vulnerable democracy from within and yeah, that was uh, that was uh, the final straw. Yeah. Um, uh, BBB leader Caroline from the Plus <laughs> also uh, trolled a little bit because she replied to the tweet where Ardens was announced uh, as spokesman as "Oh, congratulations!" But I think we need to talk mm. um, as a reference to that old tweet. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it it simply went on sich too far, and only three and a half hours after it was announced, Arden was hired. He was already fired. So yeah, um, yeah Arden himself described it as the shortest career in the Hague ever and uh, he is right because until now the shortest career in uh, the Hague was that of an LPF uh, junior minister who was only uh, in um, office for eight hours because it was soon revealed that she had uh, worked for a paramilitary group in Suriname which she hadn't disclosed so um, it can always be worse I think yeah (laughs) Yeah. So no, no, there's, uh, we'll discover uh, uh, in this piece podcast. There seems to be a problem with uh, people just not googling their candidates uh, yeah, before yeah, they announce yeah, yeah. them. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but yeah, I did. I think that um, uh, I don't know if uh, how relevant it is, but I think possibly Ardens's uh, tweet really uh, touched on uh, the Funder Plus, of course, because she lost her husband to cancer. So then to describe him, oh, okay. her party as a tumor. 
yeah, eating eating the democratic body politic from within was uh, yeah was a bit uh, bit of a sensitive area perhaps. Mm. But she didn't say that explicitly, and she also didn't call for him to be uh, withdrawn either. She wasn't cancelling him. She just said, uh, "Are you aware of this, Peter?" And once Peter was aware of it, he said, "Right, okay, uh, yeah, I don't think we can hire this guy." No, we don't want people who, uh, who who talk like other political uh, yeah. uh, colleagues uh, in 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 this way. Um, it's not the worst thing I have uh, I've seen someone tweeting, especially. It's not the worst thing so. I've seen in the last twenty four hours, to be honest. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it was uh, yeah. But given that uh, Omzich wants a new, clean, more dignified, uh, mature uh, type of politics, uh, that didn't chime with the uh, with those ambitions. With very high standards, yes. Yeah. Uh, it will be difficult for him, though, to uh, think fine, to, uh, to screen everyone's Twitter timeline. Uh, all, all of the 2,500 candidates that have, you know, have sent a letter to him, uh, that, that will be an immense task. So uh, good luck to him um, screening everybody. This week we discussed the absolute chaos that broke out in the Animal Rights Party and covered the rest of the enormous amount of political drama we've seen. You'll pay top dollar if you want to take a tram next year. More international students stay in the Netherlands after they graduated. Oranje needed a vital win in Dublin, while art detective Arthur Brandt found a very valuable IKEA bag on his doorstep. It was the week when the Animal Rights Party, Partij van der Deren, uh, fought like cats in a sack. A row that's been rumbling since the summer broke through to the surface when the party's management board said Esther Auerhand would not be heading the list of candidates for the election. The reason, the board said, was that they'd received several reports of her breaching its integrity rules. But Auerhand refused to roll over and play dead. She booked an interview on Collegia Tour with Tvan House, uh, following in the footsteps of such esteemed figures as um, Willem Holleder, <laughs> while four of her five colleagues in the Tweede Kamer said they would quit the party unless she was reinstated. New Zero obtained a document showing that Auerhand had been involved in a running battle with the board to modernise the party, which has grown from two MPs in 2006 to around 200 representatives in Parliament, Europe, provincial governments, mm. local councils and water boards. I was, and I was thinking, the board how, how, how do they end up with 200 seats of the 150 seats in Parliament? But you weren't finished yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and on Wednesday, the board conceded the fight. They resigned en masse and they published a list of election candidates headed by our hunt, even though they still insisted she was unsuitable for the role. Yeah, yeah, it was a real bombshell on Saturday, right? When the, the board announced that uh, they were refusing to um, uh, put our hunt on the, on the number one uh, candidate, uh, on, the, on the first position of the candidate list uh, yeah. because of these integrity breaches. Uh, so uh, what, what are these integrity breaches uh, she was supposedly guilty of? Yeah, that was uh, st uh, still the great unresolved question because it's not clear at all. But it seems uh, our hand has no shortage of enemies uh, in the PFDD. Uh, you might call it a dog-eat-dog -dog world uh, <laughs> if you uh, are so inclined. But uh, yeah, we said earlier that four of her five colleagues in the Trader Karma supported her. But the fifth was Leonie Festering, who went on sick leave earlier this year, blaming conditions at work. And mm. the rumours started swirling around this week that she and our hand's relationship had uh, completely broken down. Uh, the document leaked to news here didn't mention festering by name, but it said the board had taken the side of an MP in a dispute with the leader. Yeah. Uh, festering wouldn't comment when she was asked about it by the Telegraph, but on Wednesday she abruptly quit Parliament during a debate, uh, which came as a complete surprise to the other PFDD MPs. Festering said she couldn't carry on in the current circumstances, uh, but the fight for the animals uh, came first. 
There are also anonymous briefings in the Telegraph that Auerhand presided over a culture of fear and Stalinist conditions in the party. Um, so we have two completely separate, uh, irreconcilable narratives here, really. Yeah. Um, uh, and there were even moves, it got so bad, there were moves to bring in the retiring chair of parliament, Fira Bergkamp, as a mediator. Uh, which uh, Fritz yeah. Vester um, had uh, some uh, uh, had something to say about. That's worth looking up uh, on RTL if you've got the time. Uh, he was quite scornful of the idea of having Fear Bergkamp um, to try and uh, uh, try and make peace as peacemaker. Uh, but that it, proved it, it does this. it does seem that if you bring in Fear Bergkamp, you don't want your conflict to be resolved. I think. No, <laughs> no, no. You just wanted to get uh, get worse. Uh, but it proved unnecessary when the board resigned uh, to the relief of the nation's overworked popcorn producers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the thing is, uh, so the, the board on Saturday said we uh, don't want Esther Awan to lead the party anymore. Uh, yeah. And on Wednesday they announced, yeah, we're going to um, uh, 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 put her on the list anyway, but in uh, um, in protest of that we are going to resign after mm. that immediately. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was a very strange week, um, and uh, also the. Uh, Partij voor de Dieren is currently polling very high, uh, a record number of seats, right? So, uh, w- yeah. w- do we think they will uh, will be able to uh, to to keep the number of seats, even though? Uh uh, I- even after everything that has happened? Well, we'll see, because, I mean, they've been on a steady upward curve for the last two decades, and uh, this is their first sort of major setback. First time they've actually had to kind of deal with the problems of being uh, a medium-sized or larger party and uh, and w- w- with internal squabblings. But before last week, they were, p- were projected to uh, take as many as 10 seats at the election, which would make yeah. them the sixth largest party, bigger than Deze Zestig, bigger than the Christenuni, even bigger than the CDA, the once mighty Christian Democrats. Um, and Partij for the Deer and voters are pretty loyal, and uh, they overwhelmingly took the side of our hand uh, over the party managers. Uh, a poll for Ein yeah. Dag said 90%. You, you dropped the word Stalinistic already, right? So uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, Paul Fein van Dach uh, did uh, produce a very Stalinist type uh, uh, levels of support. They said 90% of uh, party supporters had confidence in our hunt and only 2% packed the board. Though I suspect that's largely because uh, for many uh, voters, people outside the Hague bubble, Esther Auerhand is the only person from the PFA they've yeah. heard of, apart from perhaps Mariana Tima, who's no longer um, uh, no longer associated with the party. Um, so yeah, she, she's short... currently working on a PhD. What topic do you think she is? Uh... Uh, I do know this actually. Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I was kind of surprised. Theology. Which, yeah, theology uh, wasn't well, something I would have uh, imagined by Mariana Tima, but yeah, but she is a Seventh Day Adventist. She? She's um, got oh, quite yeah, a strong, right. um, uh, yeah, radical religious background and um, or evangelical religious background. So, but uh, yeah, um, so yeah, I think in the short term this might not dent the party's fortunes too much because they got a hardcore of voters, and I think because our hunt won won the war. Uh, that uh, yeah. they will probably continue to support her, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a party conference coming up on September the twenty fourth, and I think the big question is what's going to come out there. If there's more bloodletting, if there are more revelations, um, and uh, the, 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 there's more details of either these integrity breaches or the Stalinist culture of fear that uh, supposedly um, is operating uh, within the party, then uh, it, that that might uh, have more of an effect. Yeah, and this uh, apparently, according to uh, an article, an analysis by Algemeen Dagblad, uh, this feud between Esther Auerhand and uh, the board is because the board is uh, um, uh, still 
um, of the opinion that the Partij voor de Dieren should be a very hardline activist party and shouldn't do any concessions, while Esther Awand, on the other hand, uh, is working on to working to to make the party a more yeah traditionalist party in the sense that uh, you know doing some wheeling and dealing in parliament rather than just standing on the sideline and and keep yelling that everything is wrong. And that, those are two views uh, that are that are uh, yeah. Uh, bound to clash and it is kind of surprising that um, uh, it, it, it has um, taken them so long uh, uh, b- before they uh, before they uh, uh, started to fight within the party right yeah um, but the success of the party is thanks to the um, attitude of our aunt in this regard people admire the Partij van Dieren much more because they are no longer a single issue party that they are willing to to step into government at some places um, and uh, that is what voters are that is why voters are voting for the Partij van Dieren right now so uh, I think in the end Esther Auerhand has prevailed uh, and she's going to continue with this uh, with this line um, and uh, yeah, that will only bring in more seats. So I think this is for the for, in the long term, this is the best uh, outcome for the party for the Dieren in terms of seats. This this will, uh, they will not uh, return to their old ways uh, because Esther Awand has won. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of voters are kind of fed up with the very polarized political climate we've had the last few years, and especially in the in the the last cabinet, the cabinet that is now uh, stepped down in July. We basically saw this total deadlock. Um, yeah. where they couldn't get anything done because none of the parties in the coalition could agree and uh, the voices from the opposition uh, were very shrill and there wasn't anyone who was uh, prepared to bail them out. And I think people are looking to go back to that more classic Dutch-style consensus politics where everyone gives a bit, uh, people do deals um, and, mm. uh, yeah, and, and, and things can actually get moving again. And uh, yeah, the 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 Partij van de Dieren have um, have followed that course successfully in the yeah. last few years. Yeah, and um, uh, uh, do you know where the studio of the Collegia Tour interview was uh, was located? Um, let me think. No, I don't. No, it was in a venue called Het Paard. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <laughs> and the address was the Lange Beestermarkt. Oh yes, I did see a picture of um, yeah, I saw our hand walking along the Lange Beestermarkt. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 and I'm the, sure the, they did this all on purpose. <laughs> the Tall Animals Street. Yeah, the Tall yes. Animals Market, sorry. Yeah. yeah. There was plenty of other political news, and we start in Amsterdam where Femke Halsema has announced that she is available for a second term to serve as the mayor of the capital. Her current term ends next year, and she told city councillors in a letter it would be an honor to continue to serve this wonderful city. Where does she live? Um, She wrote Mm. that the three major tasks she faced when she took office in 2018 are still current. The fight against the drugs economy, against anti-Semitism and racism, and violence against women and LHBTQs. Additionally, she wants to focus on restoring trust between citizens and the local government, which has been in decline in recent years. Um, yeah, she, it almost it almost sounds as if she hadn't done such a good job in the past six mm, years. Uh, yes, if, if all these yeah. uh, items are still relevant yeah. and uh, these, this, these major problems have uh, ever risen. <laughs> um, yeah, and she also plays, of course, a, a major role in the transformation of the city center, cutting back on nuisance tourism, uh, especially uh, British tourists uh, uh, celebrating their yeah. stag parties, of course. Uh, and uh, there's also a controversial plan to move uh, much of the city's sex industry to a purpose 
build location outside the medieval neighborhood and yeah. next to a, a certain European uh, medicine agency. Yes, so that would also relocate many of the British tourists uh, that cause yeah. nuisance <laughs> in the city center, of course. And uh, yeah, Dutch News uh, recently interviewed Halsema and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Right. Uh, sorry, so enough about Amsterdam. Let's get back to The Hague because it's uh, a bloodbath. You just on, can't get enough of The on, Hague, right? On so many <laughs> levels, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it's been a political bloodbath indeed because, uh, yeah, as we already mentioned, political parties are gearing up for the upcoming general election and uh, as part of that they uh, have been presenting their candidate list. Um, and while the ruling VVD party has chosen to mostly fill its list with currently serving MPs, the other coalition party, D66, has chosen a different strategy, much to the frustration of the uh, D66 faction. Um, D66 top 10 only contains five MPs, and given that the party is currently projected to lose half to three quarters of its 24 seats, it is expected that many MPs will be out of a job after November 22nd. The list is led by party leader and climate minister Rob Jette, followed by parliamentary group leader Jan Pater Notte. And uh, the party's controversial spokesman on agriculture and nitrogen, we already mentioned him, Chert yeah. de Groot, or Polari Chert de Groot, as I like to call him, is yeah, in the, 12th the, place. The, 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 uh, the Thanos of the polder, I think we should call yeah. him, because he wanted, <laughs> to, uh, he wanted to destroy 50% of all cattle. Yes, mm. and... Uh, yeah, he, he, uh, D66 has destroyed uh, half of something. Uh, they just couldn't have seats. imagined that it yeah. was their, their own <laughs> number of seats, yes. Uh, Chirtegoot is in 12th place, and while the first uh, Dutch trans MP, Lisa van Ginneke, is 22nd. Um, yeah, so a lot of currently serving MPs have been positioned uh, disappointingly low on the list. Um, and... NRC reported that there was an online uh, 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 meeting with the MPs on Sunday and that it re was really an emotional meeting um, and a lot of, yeah, uh, tears and, uh, and, and and yelling and some some MPs uh, refused to um, uh, put their webcam um, on because they were so uh, frustrated and so yeah. uh, so uh, angry at, uh, at their position of the list. And also what I thought was kind of, Kind of strange. Um, both Rob Jette and Jan Paternotte weren't uh, present there, so um, they they couldn't even face uh, their own MPs to to bring their bring the bad news. I thought that was yeah, uh, that was not a good <laughs> side. Very odd. Did, did they have, have they hired the uh, the board of the Partij van de Dieren to to manage their? <laughs> They uh, asked. Uh, the, I, think they, yeah. I think they asked Vera Bergkamp to uh, to deliver the bad <laughs> to news. To mediate, yeah. Yeah, Tjerte Groot even asked for aftercare from the from the party for all the disappointed uh, 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 MPs. So, um, yeah, this was another one of these stories that came right in the middle of the Partij voor de Dieren storm. Yeah. And, um, yeah, there was also another interesting incident. The Boerburgerbeweging had presented its uh, candidate list last week, of course, and that caused some controversy because uh, they had presented Mona Keizer, the former CDA junior minister, as their... Candidate, candidate for the prime ministry, uh, but uh, all of a sudden, Caroline van der Plas denied that they had ever um, uh, presented her like that. They have, she, they, she said, well, she's number two on the list. She is uh, um, uh, uh, 
in principle, she is a uh, candidate for the Tweede Kamer. We never mentioned that she was going to be to be the prime minister, even though it was in all the press releases and yeah. all the announcements on social media. So that was a strange U-turn and also a strange hill to die on, especially Very because strange. yeah, they had clearly done so. And even yeah, Clara, because she basically had, said the media made it up, right? It was yeah. uh, some kind of thing. Of, oh, it's you guys that saying she's a protect, uh, prospective prime minister. We never said anything about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Even though yeah, it was very easily checked and uh, yeah, easily googled. I mean, you, there was simply there was literally a video of Caroline van der Plas with the microphone saying, "I present to you our prime minister candidate, Mona Kaiser." <laughs> that was the, it was literally available there. So, it was a very strange uh, thing yeah. to say. Very by, strange by turn Caroline. of events. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and speaking of uh, very strange turns of events, uh, it was uh, if the week wasn't crazy enough, the public prosecutor also announced that Forum for Democracy MP Gideon van Meijeren has been charged with inciting violence on two occasions. The far-right MP told farmers at a protest in Tull in November 2021 that they would be justified in using force against the government. And at another occasion, he said in an interview with a Belgian YouTube account that he dreamt of a velvet revolution with a crowd marching on the parliament building, adding that he uh, hopes the revolution wouldn't result in deadly victims, but history has shown that this is probably unavoidable. Uh, yeah, these uh, yeah. comments were uh, enough for the public prosecutor to... Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 put him on the stand and naturally van Meijer has said that the allegations were deliberately timed to coincide with the election campaign and that he is a victim of a witch hunt where did we hear that again yeah yeah for um, form for democracy copying the trump script uh, who would have yeah. thought yeah 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 now i'm it surprised they haven't already done their own mugshots here for their publicity <laughs> material yeah they they, they would uh yeah, we don't have a mugshot tradition in the Netherlands. So no. Unfortunately, now I come to think of it. But uh, yeah, n- knowing f- uh, the form for democracy, they will uh, they will uh, produce their own mugshots, uh, their, their their fake mugshots uh, to, yeah. to put on mugs and on t-shirts. Yeah, and on and on all their crowdfunding campaigns as well, because uh, yeah, they, they, they never miss a never miss a grift form for de- democracy. And it wasn't the first time Van Meijer clashed with the law because in March he was given a 60-hour community service order for riding a scooter while drive, while his driving license uh, has been suspect, suspended. Do yeah. you remember why his driving license was suspended? Yes, uh, because um, <clears throat> he was uh, driving out of the uh, Tredekama car park and uh, the police stopped him, pulled him over. Um, and he said it was because uh, his uh, it, 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 the wheel on the left hand side had suddenly uh, given way. So once again, he'd been sabotaged on sabotaged by the left. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> yeah. But, but, but when the police uh, um, stopped him, he refused to. They asked him to take a breath test, and he said he refused to cooperate because they'd uh, mentioned that I was a form for democracy MP. So he instantly yeah. assumed that they were part of the woke cloud or the or the, the woke mob. Uh, or the woke blob, rather, and he he refused yeah. to take the breath test, and uh, because of that, uh, he had his license revoked for nine months, I think. Yeah, and, you, and during you, those nine you, months, he was twice stopped on his scooter once for going through a red light. So, you are you are. I had to look this up, but you uh, uh, you are you you have all the details at the top of your head. Uh, <laughs> well, I wrote the story about it this week, uh, so, oh, okay. so, 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 so I had to refresh my memory. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, he was driving through the Hague with three wheels on his car, and uh, yeah. Yeah, he was uh, surprised that he was pulled over. 
uh, on the Malieveld, which is another one of his uh, favorite yeah. uh, spots in, uh, yeah. in in uh, in the Hague. Um, and you have been um, pay, playing close. To, you have been paying close attention to the candidate list of Forum for Democracy, right? You uh, you had to wait for hours uh, until the live streams uh, started, or. Uh, no, I wasn't paying that uh, that close attention. No, the, the big question was whether you know, there were rumors uh, f- uh, flying around on Friday that uh, Thierry Baudet was going to step aside as leader, you know, become yet another party leader stepping aside because he was going to go off to Strasbourg um, to, uh, to to sit in the European Parliament. Uh, the elections for that are next June, but it all came to nothing. In fact, formative for democracy, uh, I think, in an unprecedented move, uh, probably had the most uh, boring press event of the week. Yeah. This, uh, <laughs> Uh, because they they just gave a very straight presentation of their manifesto, which is basically a list of all the things that Thierry Baudet wants to cancel. Right, yeah. he wants to cancel school books uh, um, that, that that he says promote uh, LGBT ideology. Um, he wants to. Um, he um, I I took a, I took a look at their party manifesto and they have yeah. scrapped the uh, the the chapter on uh, space exploration ah. uh, because Thierry Baudet recently started to believe that the Earth is flat. So uh, yeah, oh, they, right. uh, oh, he they wants have... to cancel lockdowns, of course. He wants to cancel oh, yeah. actually protecting people's health when there's a virus flying around, um, and he wants to cancel Ukrainians, obviously. Because he yeah. says that uh, that uh, the Netherlands should be negotiating between Ukraine and that uh, very uh, reliable and stable um, uh, partner Vladimir Putin uh, to negotiate away as much of Ukraine as possible. Yeah, the presentation was scheduled to last an hour, but uh, yeah, he's done in uh, he was done within fifteen minutes. So yeah, although uh, I'm sure yeah. he decla- I'm sure he uh, he declared for an hour on his uh, spent on on his uh, expenses <laughs> claim. <laughs> The cost of travelling on public transport is going up by nearly 12% next year as transport operators grapple with the higher cost of fuel and wage rises. DOFA, which is an umbrella body for companies running regional buses, trams, trains and metro services, revised its estimate upwards this week from 11.3% to 11.7%. And these increases will apply from January the 1st to services operated by Connection, Arriva and Kalos, plus the urban networks in the major cities, but not NS trains. Their fares are going up by a more modest 7% next year. They've already announced that. It is the second major hike in a row. Uh, ticket prices went up by 7% in January. And since then, trade unions have negotiated a pay rise over 27 months, which is worth 15% for uh, public transport workers. And mm. fuel costs have also risen, partly because the discount on fuel duty uh, ended at the start of July. Yeah, so I think the NS would have been would have done better to just wait until the buses and the trams announced their the the, the yeah. rise in ticket prices, and after that announced, oh, we're only going to 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 increase our the our tickets with what is it eight percent or something? Seven yeah, percent, yeah. Seven oh, percent, yeah. Uh, and then uh, yeah, they would uh, would have been appeared uh, much more moderate and much more uh, reasonable than the other transportation companies. Yeah. Um, yeah, you think uh, Wouter Kolmes, he comes from D66, he would have uh, he, he would have known how to spin things, but uh, yeah, he, he probably has something to learn here. Um, yeah. So uh, what have passenger organizations said about this? I'm sure they weren't happy. Uh, no, unsurprisingly, they were not. Rover, uh, which is the yeah, um, uh, lobby group that speaks for public transport users, said it. Uh, uh, the government should be doing more to encourage people to use trains and buses because that would spread the cost uh, across uh, over more more people, more passengers. Uh, um, uh, but of course, at that point, Rover will start complaining about overcrowding 
on uh, mm. buses and trains instead. Speaking of which, uh, NS say their staff shortages are easing and they've been able to put longer trains on most of their routes since the end of the summer holidays. But of course, that also means they're hiring more people who cost more money. So, uh, yeah, there's no escape from these fare rises, really. And uh, does this happen to coincide with the fall in spending power? Yes, indeed it does, because uh, high inflation means we've all got less to spend on uh, train tickets and bus fares. Spending power declined by 1.2% last year, according to the statistics agency, CBS, and that's the biggest drop in 40 years. Uh, it's hmm. bigger than the 2008 crisis or the uh, recession at the start of uh, the century. Incomes rose by 5.5%, but that was overshadowed by a 6.8% inflation rate, and it would have been around, uh, and it would have been even worse, about 3%, uh, if the government hadn't uh, come up with all this support for energy bills. And that, in fact, meant that the people on the lowest incomes did see their uh, disposable income go up last year, although oh, okay. still, still from next to nothing to a little bit less yeah. next to nothing. Uh, and that's people living on welfare benefits, single-parent families, and working people claiming housing benefit. Uh, Anti-poverty minister Carol Schouten has said most low-income households will get up to 1,300 euros a year. Uh, will get up to 1,300 euros this winter towards their electricity and gas bills, and that will include students this year. Uh, after students took the government to court last year uh, for being excluded from the extra support, uh, and they won. But the hmm. energy price cap that kept costs down for everybody last year that is coming to an end in December. Although most. Uh, in, most energy companies now brought their prices down below the cap level anyway. Yes. Um, yeah, and we have uh, Budget Day coming up, of course, this next uh, next week. And um, there, there are already uh, some leaks uh, happening, of course, because it's uh, part of the tradition. But uh, yeah, yeah. we'll see. I, I think it was already leaked that the uh, cabinet is going to spend 2 billion euros on um uh yeah fighting uh, fighting poverty and uh fighting the cost of living crisis um but uh, i think we we will we will hear a lot from uh, coalition and opposition parties in the debate after the budget day on um yeah calling the government uh, even though they are cu uh, currently of course in demissionary state to do something about this because uh, yeah it's uh, it's been a real problem and the prices keep rising in the in yeah. the supermarkets as well so um, yeah, the, the the hot political buzzword at the moment is "bestands Sicherheit," yeah. security of existence, which uh, everyone agrees is under threat from rising prices. Um, and so Peter Omzicht has 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 led the charge on saying that we need to tackle this and make sure that everybody has um, has some kind of basic security, basic level of um, yeah money that they can so they can they can afford uh, their essential living costs uh, and other. Uh, um, uh, other parties have picked it up, especially the left bloc, the Pefidiachunnings uh, combination, although not the Fefidae. The Fefidae have come up with some anti-poverty measures, but they steer clear of using this word, but I think it's going to be a word that we hear a lot during this election campaign in the next couple of months. Yeah, it's definitely starting to become a theme, um, a, a campaign theme, yeah, so uh, uh, yeah, we will hear, definitely hear more about that, yes. Straight after a story about declining spending power is perhaps not the best time to ask you to give us your money, but uh, without the support of our patrons, uh, this podcast wouldn't be possible. So uh, here we go. As ever, we'd like to say a big thank you to everybody who's sponsored us so far. And if you find this podcast useful or entertaining, especially in the run-up to a chaotic election, you can become a patron for as little as one pound, a euro or a dollar a month. 
New patrons are rewarded with our sincere gratitude and a shout out on the next podcast. And we also love to answer your questions. So please do get in touch with us through Patreon, not through Twitter, sadly, because uh, it's a train wreck these days uh, and ask us anything. And uh, we are also working on some bonus content in the run up to the election. So look up for that and it will be for patrons only. This week, we say thank you to one new patron, Keith Fitzpatrick, who uh, had quite an interesting idea of some bonus content, and uh, but we'll keep that uh, under wraps for now. But thanks anyway uh, very much for that, Keith. Uh, Keith also uh, tells us that he's lived here for 37 years, but didn't really start to take an interest in Dutch politics until after 2016, when I got my passport and could vote in the general elections. Now, I wonder why Keith suddenly decided in 2016 he needed a Dutch passport. <laughs> what, could, what could it have been? <laughs> I'm originally from the UK, it says. Yeah, that's it. That's what it was. Yeah, no, of course. <laughs> Brexit strikes again. He's from Northwest England, he says, but I haven't lived there since 1976. So there is, it is a plausible scenario that the first thing he saw when he started to get an interest in Dutch politics, yeah. that it was the Brexit Muppet mm. on the table of Steph Bloch's uh, desk in, the, Quite uh, possibly, for, in yeah. the foreign office. Yes, that would have been an excellent introduction. I hope Keith will get back to us and clear whether indeed he was introduced to politics Dutch politics by Brexit Muppet. That itself would have justified the cost of the suit, I think. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. I've been a regular listener to the podcast. Uh, Keith says uh, you teach me things about Dutch life I didn't know before, so thanks for the uh, time and effort. Uh, well, thank you, Keith, uh, for joining our band of patrons, and I hope we continue to make uh, some sense of uh, what's been going on, uh, but it is an increasingly difficult task. <laughs> we'll do our best. If you'd like to join Keith and all our other lovely patrons, please log on to www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Dutch News and L. The number of international students who stay in the Netherlands after completing a degree course has risen sharply in the past few years, according to new figures from the National Statistics Agency CBS. Almost one-third of the international students graduating in 2019 had a job in the Netherlands within the year, while this used to be around 20%. Gee, I wonder what happened after 2019. Uh, Gordon, do you have an idea? I'm stumped. To be honest. The increase may be down to the outbreak of coronavirus, even though the article I read about this, the Volkskrant article, wasn't clear about that. But uh, yeah, I'm sure it has everything to do with it uh, because the pandemic, of course, made it harder to travel. And also the CBS is uh, still unsure if this is really the case without specifying why they're not sure. Almost half of the foreign students with a degree in supply chain management and IT had a job in the Netherlands after graduating. So yeah. that is the most popular field where people can uh, can end up uh, so stay in the Netherlands after they graduated. Yeah, of course, there, there's uh, another potential issue here, which is that a lot of these students who graduated uh, in around 2019, they started their degrees around about the middle of the decade, maybe. Um, and they were for one country in particular, uh, sent a lot of students to the Netherlands because uh, fees were relatively cheap. And those people, of course, uh, thought they were going to be able to get jobs in Europe and then suddenly discovered that because their country had uh, done something uh, stupid, that if they went home, it would be much harder for them to get jobs in Europe later in their careers. So perhaps they decided to stay and get a job here. I don't know. I'm just That sounds like a ridiculous theory, Gordon. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. No. Anyway, Education Minister Robert Dijkhoff, he wants to reduce the number of international students. So how did he respond to this news? 
Yeah, he was very happy with the news. Okay. Uh, the thing is, he introduced a package to reduce the number of international students because the problem is that they are leaving and yeah. you know we have invested time and money in, in educating them and then they go away. So he's happy that a lot of them are staying, um, especially uh, in the fields where there is a great need of, uh, of personnel and that is uh, in the technology and the IT sectors. But still more needs to be done to encourage international students to stay on, he said. The minister is planning to introduce compulsory Dutch language language courses for foreign students uh, that is meant to make it easier for international students to uh, to stay in the Netherlands but, uh, but also you, perhaps to put off uh, potential yeah, students that's the real from effect, traveling to the Netherlands so, yeah yeah it is a double-edged sword I think if, if that doesn't work then he'll say that they have to eat Dutch food once a week <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I forgot to mention this in the previous section, but uh, the prices for paper note uh, is yeah. uh, is also soaring through the roof. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that will bankrupt them if they have to eat Dutch snacks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, the the minister is also, of course, looking into ways to reduce the number of English language master tracks. Uh, and currently, there are one hundred fifteen thousand international students enrolled in Dutch universities, and that is about fifteen percent of the total number. Yeah. As you said before, I mean, yeah, compulsory Dutch language courses. I mean, for some students that might make sense. But if you're here to study something like IT, where all of the instruction is in English, all of the books are in English, and in fact the languages that you program in are based on English, then what is the point? What value do you get from learning Dutch? Absolutely nothing. Um, Strategic uh, exceptions can be made, Uh, so especially in these areas where we need people to to, to stay. So the IT sectors and civil engineering and aeronautical engineering and all these sort of fields, that that those are allowed to make exceptions. But for example, psychology, which is an extremely popular master track, and for example, Maastricht University or Groningen, mm. that attracts a lot of people from Germany, for example, and Belgium, and they oh, yes. return to their country after they have graduated. So um, that is a field where they say, well, we don't really need so many international students. So that is where they are going to introduce yeah. the language courses, which are supposedly going to help people to stay on. But the real effect of that is that, uh, yeah, people will stay away. Yes. Um, so yeah, that is uh, what they want to do. And also, introduce a cap on the number of students that are allowed to enroll in certain uh, courses. Um, so it's all, it, there's a lot of maatwerk going on. The courses they want to encourage uh, are, are free for all and the, and the courses they want to uh, discourage, uh, yeah, they get the restrictions. And there's bad news uh, coming from secondary schools as well on another education story. Yeah, because fewer children passed their school leaving exams this year. The failure rate dropped to 10%, and that's for the first time since 2007, according to new government figures. In total, 89.4% of teenagers graduated from secondary schools in the first year without special measures since the coronavirus pandemic. The biggest uh, reduction in performances among pupils in the HAVO stream, where the pass rate fell from 88% to only 84%. And there was also a slight increase in the overall number of teenagers dropping out before taking their exams. So uh, a worrying trend. And yeah. again, it has everything to do with the pandemic. The restrictions are over, but the effects are still visible. Yeah, there's still a very lingering effect. And it clearly, school children, school leavers, particularly uh, older teenagers, uh, are still catching up from the lessons they missed during the pandemic. And the government is, is behaving as if uh, everything's back to normal. Yeah, so uh, a lot needs to be done to tackle this. Yeah. Sports news and the uh, Dutch football team survived a fraught night in Dublin on Sunday to take another step towards Euro 2024. There was a distinct sense of déjà vu when Norwich City striker Adam Ida put the Republic of Ireland ahead after just four minutes with a penalty. 
after Mark Fleckender made a dog's breakfast of trying to clear his lines and then Fergal van Dijk handballed at the resulting corner. Can I ask what the deja vu exactly was? Yes, because uh, Aranya famously lost 1-0 in Dublin in 2001 and that was why they didn't go to the World Cup in Japan and Korea. Oh. And Louis van Gaal said it was the worst day of his managerial life. Oh, yeah. The, he recently said that, right? Yes. Yeah, in, so, a, in yeah. a documentary. Yeah. yeah. But uh, they turned it round. Uh, Cody Gapo equalised from the penalty spot after 20 minutes after Denzel Dumfries had been brought down in the penalty area. And in the second half, Oreni brought on two substitutes, Tiani Reinders and Wout Wechhorst. And it was Wechhorst who scored the winner 10 minutes into the half from a knockdown again by Dumfries. So, yeah, well done, uh, Oreni. And special congratulations to Wout Wechhorst. Uh, he scored some like five of the last 10 goals for okay. the Netherlands. He's a hot property at the moment. Until the international matches this week, he hadn't scored for about six months. Hmm, okay. So, okay. so he's, uh, uh, he's working on this revival. Yeah. He's having a uh, uh, Esther Hauerhans-style uh, recovery. Yeah. Um, Oranje still has one, one game to go, right? Until uh, a, a bunch of baboons. Well, no, there are three games before they take on the baboons, oh. actually. They've got nine points now from four matches, which is level with Greece, but the Greece have played an extra game. And uh, unlike the Greeks, the Dutch have still got to travel to Gibraltar for their final hmm. game. But they've also got to play France and Ireland again and Greece in, in between. Okay. And it's uh, not so looking good for the Canfebase cybersecurity team, right? No, it turns out there's gaping holes in their defense. Uh, cyber criminals broke into their systems and claimed to have stolen documents, including footballers' passport details and their salaries. I'm not sure which oh, wow. is the longer number, the passport number or the, the, the annual wage. The hackers reportedly demanded a million euros from the Football Association and they paid up. Although it's not oh. clear if they actually wired them the full amount. I imagine they deducted some expenses, probably. Yeah. They, they will have had a, sent an itemized invoice. The Canfe base said preventing the release of private information was more important than the principle of not giving in to blackmail. But Alid Volson, the head of the privacy watchdog, AP, said the Canfe Bay had made the wrong choice. He said, we get the impression today that hackers are nice, decent people you can do business with, but they're thieves and criminals who commit serious offenses. Yeah, great principles the Canva Bay has, but uh, yeah, we already yeah. knew that. And there is uh, an impressive result for the men's tennis team, right? Yeah, they're on the verge of qualifying for the Davis Cup finals after they upset the United States in the qualifying tournament in Croatia. Uh, Botic van der Zanskulp, uh, he's had a season to forget, by and large. He's been played by injuries. He's changed his coach and he's dropped to 68th in the world rankings. But in split, he shook all that off to beat the world number 13, Tommy Paul, in straight sets. And then Talon Kriegspoor followed up with a three-set win against the number 11, Francis uh, Tiafu, which ended in a slightly bizarre circumstances. Um, Even more bizarre circumstances. Uh, yeah. Can't have a break this week. No, everything's just uh, yeah gone surreal. Uh, Tiafu was, was on a warning during the match, and then uh, when he was on match point, he threw his racket. And that mm. meant that the umpire awarded a penalty point against him. And because it was match point, that was the end of the match. Oh, wow. And Kriegsbohr won. And Kriegsbohr said it wasn't really the way he wanted to win the match, but he was he was happy to have, uh, to have won. Um, a win is a win. Yeah, it was a last set tiebreak as well, so it was pretty close. The US did win the doubles, but it was a dead rubber. And uh, the Dutch have also beaten Finland uh, to leave them top of the group with one match to play against host nation Croatia. The finals are taking place in Malacca in November, and I'm sure British and American commentators are already dreading the prospect of having to commentate on Botik van der Zanskulp and Talon Kriegspoor again. Yes, poor commentators. So thoughts and prayers with the commentators. Maybe they should do a semester uh, studying uh, psychology in, in Maastricht to, to <laughs> exactly, learn the yeah. Dutch language. Yeah, yeah get uh, Robert Dijkraaf to come up with a, uh, with a crash course in pronouncing Dutch names for sports commentators. 
Speaking of uh, unpronounceable Dutch names, <laughs> yes. uh, a painting by Vincent van Gogh. I refuse to call him Vincent van Gogh or whatever you, uh, you English-speaking yeah. you uh, no. come up with. His painting that was stolen from a museum three years ago has been recovered after an intervention by uh, a Dutch news podcast favorite, art detective Arthur Brandt. The Parsonage Garden at Noonan in Spring, that's one of Van Gogh's early works, dating from 1884, was taken from the Singer Museum in Laren in March 2020. At the time, it was on loan from the Groninger Museum, another unpronounceable name, the Groninger yeah. Museum, the Tongue Breaker uh, podcast. Uh, the Tongue Twister, yeah. The Tongue Twister, yeah, that's the yeah. word. Um, a year later, Niels M. from Baren in Utrecht province was sentenced to eight years in jail after he was traced using DNA evidence and charged with stealing two paintings worth 17 million. The other one was also a Van Gogh, right? No, it was the Frans Hals. Oh, that was the Frans Hals. Which had been stolen twice before, actually. So. Oh, really? Yeah. It was a painting of two laughing boys with a jug of beer. So it was also extremely politically incorrect, underage drinking. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but apparently very very popular among thieves. Yes. Um, Andreas Blum, he is the director of the Groninger Museum, said he was delighted that the Van Gogh had been returned. Blum said the painting was in a reasonably good condition. I could see immediately that it was genuine. It's slightly damaged but repairable. He told the Telegraaf. Arthur Brandt had obtained the stolen painting through a contact in the underworld with the knowledge of the police. Brandt said he was sent a text by a man who claimed to have access to the work, who arranged a rendezvous on the cover of Darkness in Amsterdam. Yeah, he was at a party in Amsterdam, in central Amsterdam, I think, and he just sort of nipped out. You know, think, I wonder what excuse he came up with. So, yeah, I'm just going to nip out and talk to an art thief. Uh, hope, <laughs> I hope everyone's all right with that. <laughs> And uh, yeah, two days later, um, he appeared on Brandt's doorstep with the painting in an IKEA bag. Yeah. And um, yeah, if you have a chance, take a look at the uh, IKEA Instagram account, uh, the Dutch IKEA uh, uh -huh. Instagram account, because uh, they had a nice um, reference to this story. Brandt said an early attempt to secure the return of the painting two years ago failed when secret talks uh, with an Amersfoort-based drug scan broke out. I wonder if this feud was about a pissing uh, polar bear statue. Uh, <laughs> probably was. Yeah. But he was already confident that the work uh, could be returned and it was a headache not just for the police and justice department but for those involved in the criminal circuit, he said. The Van Gogh was just too hot. Hmm. Maybe they should have uh, thought about that before they actually... Before uh, they stole it, yeah. Stole yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Um, do you like the the painting? The Passage Garden? It's not a typical Van Gogh, is it? It's uh, yeah. It's a very uh, representative work. It almost has kind of over overtures of a kind of, kind of medieval painting. with the Yeah, yeah I thought so. Yeah. And also the dimensions are also very interesting. It's a very uh, long um, yeah. landscape uh, portrait, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, 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 a land, it's a landscape shape, but it's a very wide landscape. It's yeah, almost like a panoramic yeah. uh, view. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah. Arthur Brandt, you might know him because once or twice a year he, he recovers uh, a stolen uh, piece of artwork. And uh, one of his most famous findings were the uh, horses statues, uh, which flanked the uh, Reich's Chancellery, the seat of government of Adolf yeah. Hitler. Yeah. Uh, and I think recently they have been uh, put on display at a German museum. So that was his most famous uncovery. Yeah, he wrote a book about it, didn't he? Hitler's Horses. Yeah. 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 That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes, including 
IKEA Instagram pages and yep. uh, Femke Halsema uh, interviews and whatnot. And a whole summary of uh, the OPEF of the election so far as well, which I've read Okay, oh, there is a nice so, summary on Dutch news, right? Yeah. Yes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek, and we'll be back next week. Music